1: And your Xfinity voice remote.
0: Hey y'all, Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show. Hi everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we uncover the remnants of history every day. The day was June 10th, 1838. The Roy people, a tribal clan of the Kamilaroi Nation, were getting ready to have their evening meal at Mile Creek Station. Just before sunset, a group of 12 Europeans, including convicts, former convicts, and one colonist, showed up at the station armed and massacred at least 28 Aboriginal people. The killings at Mile Creek was one of many incidences of colonial violence against Aboriginal people by British colonists. But the trials that followed the massacre marked the first time British subjects were executed for massacring Aboriginal people in New South Wales. At the time of the Mile Creek Massacre, British law stated that killing Aboriginal people was a crime. But as Aboriginal people and colonists clashed over Europeans' increasing presence and use of land and resources, violence became common. Aboriginal people fought against the incursion of colonists and the state-sanctioned attacks against Aboriginal people. On January 26, 1838, for example, Major James Nunn, the commander of the New South Wales Mounted Police, along with some soldiers and stockmen, massacred more than 50 Aboriginal people at Waterloo Creek. The Waria Roy people had suffered many losses as a result of the conflict between Aboriginal people and Europeans. Fleeing frontier violence, they decided to camp on Henry Dangar's property at Mile Creek Station, which was near present-day Bingra. The Warayaroy assisted stockmen, and in exchange, were protected from violence. But on June 10, 1838, normal operations at the station were interrupted when the group of convicts, ex-convicts, and the colonists, led by John Fleming, showed up with weapons. Stockmen George Anderson and Charles Kilmeister, as well as two aboriginal men, were attending the station. About 30 aboriginal people fled to the stockmen's huts, while two boys escaped by jumping into a creek. The attackers tied up the Warreya people and took them from their campsite, though several women and girls were separated from the group and taken elsewhere. Kilmeister joined the attackers, while Anderson attempted to help an aboriginal girl and woman. The Warreyoroi people were taken to a stockyard and killed, and their bodies were dismembered and burned. People who committed massacres of Aboriginal people were rarely punished. In fact, many colonists thought that Europeans should not be punished for killing Aboriginal people, but the proceedings that would follow the Mile Creek Massacre set a judicial precedent. Station manager William Hobbs Police Superintendent Thomas Foster and colonist Frederick Foote reported the massacre. And Governor George Gipps sent Police Magistrate Edward Denny Day to investigate the crime. After taking depositions from 19 witnesses, Day arrested 11 of the 12 people who had committed the massacre. The free colonist, John Fleming, managed to get away. The convicts and ex-convicts who had perpetrated the murders were sent to Sydney for trial. The first trial began on November 15, 1838, at the New South Wales Supreme Court. It was presided over by Chief Justice Sir James Dowling, and there were 12 colonists on the jury. The aboriginal man named Yente Yintin, who witnessed the killings, could not testify in court because he was not Christian, so he could not swear to his evidence. In the end, the jury found the 11 defendants not guilty of committing murder at Mile Creek. But Attorney General John Plunkett was not satisfied with that verdict, so they went to a second trial. Plunkett split up the defendants, hoping they would tell on each other. Seven of the defendants were tried by Judge William Burton. They were found guilty, and they were hanged in December at the George Street Jail. The remaining four defendants were set to go to trial as well, this time with Yente as an eyewitness, as he had been introduced to Christianity. But Yenteyenten was never seen again, and the rest of the murderers walked free. After the trials, colonists expressed more anger at the executions of the Europeans than the killings of the Aboriginal people. And they continued to massacre Aboriginal people, though the people who committed the murders did not publicize them as proudly and took measures to cover them up. Even though there was a reward for Fleming's capture, he was able to reintegrate into society and never faced trial. One of the people who committed the massacre and got off free died by suicide, and William Hobbs, who reported the crime, lost his job with Dangar. Today, there is a memorial site in service at Mile Creek. I'm Yves Jefko, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. But if you still don't know enough, you can listen to another show I host called Unpopular. Unpopular is a podcast about people in history who challenged the status quo and were sometimes persecuted for it. You can listen anywhere you get this day in history class. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hello, everyone. I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast that packages history into tiny, bite-sized pieces. The day was June 10th, 1980. The African National Congress published a message that anti-apartheid leader Nelson Mandela wrote in response to the Soweto uprising in 1976. At the time, Mandela was imprisoned. In 1948, the National Party came to power in South Africa and began implementing the policy of apartheid. At the time, racial segregation already existed in the country, and the white minority held political power. Though segregation had long been in practice, apartheid extended the policy. It dictated where people could live and work based on race. The Population Registration Act required people to be classified and registered as black, white, colored, or other. Past laws reinforced the ideology of white supremacy by controlling the movement of black South Africans. Plenty of other apartheid laws were passed that enforced the country's system of racial segregation and disadvantaged the majority black population. Nelson Mandela was a key figure in the anti-apartheid movement. In the early 1940s, Mandela joined the African National Congress, or ANC, a political party that became dedicated to ending apartheid once the National Party came to power. In the decades after apartheid became official government policy, resistance to the system sprang up across South Africa. The ANC was heavily involved in the fight against apartheid, and Mandela emerged as a leader in the ANC. In June of 1976, black students in Soweto Township led protests in response to the government mandating the use of Afrikaans as a medium of instruction in schools. Afrikaans was a language of the white minority. As thousands of students marched in the demonstrations, the police responded by shooting at the children. Many children were killed and the Soweto uprising spread across the country. At the time of the Soweto uprising, Nelson Mandela was in prison, serving a life term after being convicted of sabotage in the Rivonia trial in 1964. During his time in prison, Mandela continued to write and support the anti-apartheid movement, and people helped him smuggle his writing out of Robben Island prison. One of the messages he wrote from Robben Island was in response to the Soweto uprising. On June 10th, 1980, the ANC published this message, stating that it took more than two years to reach them. It included an introduction by Oliver Tambo, who was president of the African National Congress. The introduction acknowledged the importance of Mandela's, quote, call to unity and mass action, especially since 1980 marked the 25th anniversary of the Freedom Charter, a document ratified in 1955 that demanded equal rights for all South Africans. In the introduction, the ANC urged readers to, quote, make 1980 a year of united mass struggle. In the message, Mandela laid out how, quote, white domination is held in check by force of arms and how apartheid was opposed by many people. He also called for black unity and said that, quote, victory is certain. Near the end of the message, he wrote the following Unite, mobilize, fight on between the anvil of united mass action and the hammer of the armed struggle, we shall crush apartheid and white minority racist rule. Mandela was released from prison a decade later in 1990. Negotiations to end apartheid soon began, and Mandela became president of South Africa in 1994. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can hit us up on social media. We're at TDIHC Podcast. You can also send us an email. We're at thisday at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow.